0: What was incredible was within about 30 days, we started looking at the metrics within the company of what's our cadence on sprints? What's the quality of code? Are we falling behind on everything? What are the concerns? And on the software development side of the business, every single metric we track had improved.
1: You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Coke, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am Jackie, your host. And today I have the pleasure of sitting down with an amazing human who is a serial entrepreneur and a tech founder and tech CEO. We talk about a lot of things that he's learned along the way of leading and growing a team. What we really dig into is how they have approached remote work and testing out four-day work weeks and some other things that they do in their business to test and do things a little bit differently. And I really am excited that I was able to talk to him because when I sit down and I try to give you tips and tricks and things that I've either implemented or that I'm learning, sometimes it feels as though I'm giving you theory. And I really want on this show to give you practical things that you can implement and actually try and hear from people who are actually doing the thing and not just talking about doing the thing. I'm so excited that I got to sit down with Graham. Graham Barlow is a seasoned and serial entrepreneur, and he has an impressive track record spanning over 24 years. We hear a little bit about how he got started in entrepreneurship at 10 years old, which is insane. But throughout his career, he successfully co-founded five companies, including a digital currency company in the early 2000s that was later acquired by... Wow, mine in 2006. He also played a pivotal role in the growth of Rocket Owl, a social gaming company that achieved significant success and was ultimately acquired by Kesha Technologies in 2014. He's the co-founder of Pro Pet Software, a thriving SaaS company specializing in business management tools for the pet industry, which continues to thrive with an impressive annual reoccurring revenue exceeding a million dollars. Since 2016, he's been focused on building Iversoft, and that's really what we dig into is some of the things that they've done at Iversoft as they've navigated remote work and four-day work weeks and some other things. Iversoft is a world-class software development agency that specializes in mobile and emerging technologies. And since joining the company, Graham has helped lead growth, expanding from a team of seven in less than 500,000 in annual services to a national team in Canada. It is a Canadian-based company and it's a national team of over 50. So he's grown the company from seven people to over 50 people and grown from 50,000 to 10 million in annual revenue. So He knows what he's talking about and he's been there, done that. And he's just the most genuine, amazing person. So I'm really excited that you get to listen in on our conversation. Hey, Graham, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Hey, Jackie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: I know. I'm so excited to chat with you and dig into some stuff with you today. I always love to start with a quick founder story. I would love to know, how did you come to... This entrepreneurship journey and being a founder, I always love a good story.
0: It's been a lifelong accidental journey stumbling between things. So I got started into the tech world primarily as a method to justify gaming addiction when I was very young and ended up accidentally building a small company around selling currency from online games like Diablo 1, Diablo 2, Neopets and World of Warcraft. As a way to justify playing way more games than I should. And did that before I knew what the word entrepreneurship was. Did that before I knew what startups were. And ended up actually building a pretty decent company out of it. We ended up selling that business online back in 2006 after doing it for about six years. And then I tried to go be a responsible adult and go to university. Got through about a semester of it before I realized it was not for me. And through a series of insane social events where I just showed up to stuff in Ottawa, ended up co-founding a game development company, building games on Facebook at the height of the Farmville social gaming craze. Ended up building a game that got to over a million users. We partnered with nonprofits all over the world, did some incredible impact stuff through gaming, scaled that team up, raised a ton of money through Angel Adventure, and then also went through the process of scaling that team down and then selling the technology from that company, spent a couple of years in venture capital, investing in early stage startups, and then ended up where I am now, which is Iversoft, where we build software for organizations all over the world and do high-end team augmentation. And I joined Iversoft when we were a team of seven, almost eight years ago, and we're over 50 now. We're coast to coast across Canada and have gone through some pretty amazing journeys in terms of transition to remote. We've done four day work week, compressed work week. We've done two acquisitions during that time. It's been a ride, but I love it. And then sprinkled all through that, I've been uh, co-founder in a number of other companies, advisor in a bunch, investor in a bunch, and just having fun.
1: That's amazing. That's so my world. Okay, so many questions here. How old were you when you started to build your first team?
0: Unofficially doing it, I was 10.
1: You did pay them at 10. Did you?
0: So we did pay each other out of the funds that we were doing in the first company. We sold it when I was 16, but it was a collective of people doing stuff on the internet together and then divvying out paid funds.
1: How did you handle disagreements when you were 10?
0: I'm going to say with extreme maturity and responsibility, yes. looking back by just force majority rules. <laughs> so... That being said, around the same time, I was also involved in this youth council at the city I was involved in to try and organize better events in town. So I've always been in a leadership role where a lot of my strength is finding the right people to be at the table, to have the conversation, and help move things forward. The first time I found myself formally, functionally responsible for payroll and hiring and all of that, I was 21. We had just raised 600000 in angel funding and we're launching the game development company called Rocket Out, and that was terrifying. I think the learning curve there was a vertical cliff that I credit a lot of the mentors and support I had around me at the time for helping explain all the things that I had no idea what I was getting into.
1: Yeah, when you look back to that time, what were some of the biggest oh shit moments for you? Oh shit, I gotta do this. Can you think of any that really stand out?
0: For me, the biggest one that is cemented in my brain is I'd always been very Confident on the sales side, the presentation side, the strategy of where we wanted to go with the business. When we closed the funding and ended up in an office and we had space, and I just remember this pile of computers that were getting set up and sitting down and be like, fuck, now we need to hire people and make this happen. And we need all the skill sets that fill in all the boxes that do this. And I've never written a job description before. Literally starting at step one, fortunately, we had a good co-founding team. I think I was the youngest co-founder in our group by 15 years. The rest of the team had all been through that journey, but there was a pretty intense moment of the amount of stuff I don't know has never felt more prominent than in that moment of where does one go to hire developers? Where do you find artists? What kind of artists do I need? That was overwhelming and terrifying.
1: I can imagine. Did you jump to portraying like you knew what you were doing or were you very honest with people and authentic with people?
0: Me today tries to lean very heavily into the authentic, honest, open side of things. Yeah. 21-year-old me tended to default to a lot of confidence all the time. and I think that was one of the best things I learned when things a couple of years later didn't go the way I wanted them to was... A little bit more humility and a little bit more grace probably would have served me a lot better than just confidently running through every door I encountered.
1: There's benefits to that, too. It probably served you so well in so many ways. You don't want to stifle that entirely.
0: Some balance there, I think, is important. There's something to be said for the pure, naive, anything is possible, anything can be done, just go. I love that kind of energy and enthusiasm. I also think when you're dealing with people and you're scaling up systems, an element of recognizing where you probably do need to learn more, where you need to slow down, take a step back and educate yourself is huge.
1: Yeah, 100%. I could have a whole episode just asking questions about what it was like running a business at 21. What I really want to talk to you about today is a couple of things because you are somebody who's really embracing really the way that Work is changing as it relates to remote work and the four day work week. It's so interesting. So, I obviously do HR consulting and recruiting. And so, I'm talking to a lot of founders and businesses today. I pay attention to everything that gets posted on LinkedIn about all of the stuff. And I feel like in this world, there is this huge fight of office work and remote work. And it almost feels like US politics, right? So divisive.
0: It is divisive.
1: And I don't actually think there is one winner. What I do think is we're three years, I'll say post-pandemic, and so many companies were forced to go remote without any intention or thought, and they did that. And they still haven't put any intention or thought into it, and now it's starting to show. So they just run back to old habits without actually thinking about it. And instead, what I think is needed is some intention behind how you want your team to work together. And what I really love about what I've heard you speak about, specifically on my friend Jackie Service's show, is you decided to test it and try it and do it ahead of time before you were forced. I want to talk about that, and I'm really excited to talk into it. But before we do that, you share a little bit about how many employees you had at the time in which you went remote, how you guys worked together, what type of business you were, how much quote unquote, creativity does the team need to do stuff? I'm so curious about what that setup was like before you went working predominantly remote.
0: Yeah, I love it. So let me paint a picture of what Iversoft was pre-pandemic because we look back on it a little bit now and even looking at some of the documents we had, we laugh a little bit at ourselves. Iversoft at the time was a digital agency so we did everything from marketing services and social media management and strategy to software development web development mobile development it was a period in our life cycle where we'd gotten a little broad on our offering i think we were a team of about 28 we had just finished renovating 12 and square feet of office space in ottawa which we had nicely set up was company colors beautiful all kinds of boardrooms wonderful space all of our employees were based in ottawa There were some weekends spent doing touch-ups and getting it really dialed in. We had this incredibly progressive policy where you could submit a form and with manager approval, you could work from home one day every month. We thought we were leading the charge.
1: Was that progressive for the time? I don't even know.
0: We pretend it was. We thought it was a cool offering at the time. We allow a remote work policy, but you also have to be here The other 90% of the month.
1: Oh my God. I have to jump in and tell you at, at Lumi where I worked, we had it where you could work remotely. We had one remote day a week, which maybe was a little bit more progressive than you. And you had to pick it and your manager had to know and you could work remote one day a week, but only certain teams could do it. Depending on your job. So same thing. Oh,
0: yeah. There were all of the requirements and some teams never got approved for it. If you had team meetings, did we really want to facilitate someone on a laptop? Everyone else around a whiteboard.
1: Our engineers were entirely remote, but everybody else.
0: I think it's important to understand that context because even at the time, we considered ourselves very progressive on the HR side for a lot of our other policies and a lot of our other approach. But that was one of those things where every division of the company was like, I really don't know how that could work. I think we'd lose out on collaboration. I think there's the special moments of everyone in the same room around the same whiteboard solving problems together. How could we possibly recreate that? which I look back on and laugh a little bit. 28 people, we started to see some of the news around the pandemic hitting. We acted a couple weeks before any lockdown was happening, but we started to see it and was like, before this isn't our choice, what if we just try it now and see what breaks? To jump back what kind of work we did. A lot of creative work, a lot of creative problem solving, a lot of stuff across teams. Very frequently having conditions where you wanna have people being open brainstorm, open discussion. I don't even think we had video conferencing tools at the time set up. I know we had them as part of our Google suite because we literally turned them on the next day and got rolling.
1: But you weren't even using them?
0: No. Everyone's in the office. We dealt with primarily Canadian clients and voice calls if we needed. Otherwise, people came in the office.
1: Did you have one of those owls where you could see everyone? We had the conference phone
0: things in the center, but it had never really been a huge thing for us. What's interesting is, despite all of that, when we went remote, it took us less than a day, I think, to operationally get flipped over to remote work because we had all of the tools already in place. All of the codes handled in the cloud. Slack was already our main line of communication. We run on the Google suite of tools. At the time, Google Meet wasn't great, but it worked. And what was incredible was... Within about 30 days, we started looking at the metrics within the company of what's our cadence on sprints, what's the quality of code, are we falling behind on everything, or what are the concerns. And on the software development side of the business, every single metric we track had improved despite chaos in the world, despite everything else. And the feedback was like, I'm not commuting anymore, I'm not stressed about my kids, I'm not stressed about my family. When I'm heads down, I'm heads down. People were a lot more intentional about who they were pulling onto calls. It was pretty phenomenal to see that data. As a leadership group, we all step back and went, wow, okay, we were wrong. What else can we challenge? What else can we go after? I say it it happened seamlessly. It happened seamlessly because we have a senior leadership team that leaned into it extreme. Like Our HR team, our ops team, our delivery team, everyone. When we said we're going remote, the philosophy across the group was, okay, we're not doing this as a short-term thing. If we're going to do this, we do this right. We lean into it that this is our policy and every team has a plan on how it happens.
1: So a couple questions, and one you already answered that I was gonna ask was everybody says, oh, metrics went up or the data shows this. And I was curious what metrics you use. And it sounds like you already had some metrics in place, which anyone listening to the show gets some productivity metrics in place yeah. regardless. Were there new ones that you implemented as a result of remote work?
0: I'd say lots that we've added since, not a ton that we added in the moment at the time. We very much wanted to see just apples to apples, how does the system move? We've done a lot since then around employee engagement, employee feedback, overall satisfaction with role and culture, as well as really stepped up the automated reporting on our code commits and the software development side of our business to understand if we're maintaining the same level of quality that we offer. Or that we expect to be able to deliver for clients. We're very fortunate that we're in a space where we have a lot of visibility into what our output is expected to be and should be. We know in, we'll call near real time, whether or not we're where we should be on a project.
1: Okay, so then the second part to that question is, you said the whole leadership team was bought in. What does that mean to you? Because it's one thing to be like, yeah, sure, we'll see how it goes. We're going to do it. And it's another thing to try to facilitate it working. Yeah. So what did you guys do? What did different leaders do on their teams to intentionally try to make it work and support it?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think from a buy-in perspective, it was sitting down as a group and acknowledging as a services business in tech, our product offering is people. At the end of the day, that is what we are, that is who we are, that's what drives our value. So starting from a philosophy of our most important asset, bar none is our people. How do we approach this from people first mentality? And at the time, our COO, Laura, from a product and project delivery standpoint, spent a lot of time looking at what are the tools that are involved in delivery? How many of them are accessible on remote? And then kind of meeting with smaller teams within the company from the project managers to the dev teams on what's going to be impacted, where the hiccups that could happen with remote. How do we facilitate that? How do we source new tools that might Replicate things that we're trying to do, and then staff our director of people and culture. Have the emphasis on engagement tools, making sure we have a thousand different channels available for employees to give feedback, to express concerns, to make suggestions. Making sure all of our corporate policies are up to date, and also making sure that the managers and leaders within the organization have an outlet. If they're feeling stressed about the transition, if they're not sure about how to approach it, I actually immediately started creating coaching programs for how to engage with people online. Leading by example, that was one of the other things that I think was really interesting is staff who heads up our people and culture, immediately started doing a bunch of digital keynote events, speaking on the importance of mental health, the importance of being open at work, the importance of open communication, and using a lot of her own personal stories and journey to tell that. And we saw massive engagement from our team and employees because they saw one of the company leaders being vulnerable, being an advocate, speaking up. And we had a lot more people going to her with what their struggles or concerns were with going remote. And on the whole, it was just a really positive experience. And again, a lot of it comes from the philosophy of when we decided to go remote, it wasn't like, let's do this temporarily and let's see. It was, let's make this our thing and do it like we can't ever go back. And if we do end up going back cool we'll cross that bridge when we get there but don't do this half step i met so many companies and leaders at the time that were like yeah we're gonna do the remote thing temporarily and it's always with that temporarily asterisk so they never really invested in the right tools they never really changed a lot of company policy it was like this half step in i was like but that half step is literally people's lives it's their day-to-day how they're operating so as a corporate leadership group you need to go all in on what people's environments are. If you have to change it in the future, that's fine. But their present needs to feel secure and you need to invest in it how you would have invested in traditional space.
1: What I see happening a lot is a different version of that now. During that time, it was temporarily because of the pandemic. And now what I'm seeing a lot of is going remote because you can't make a hire where you want because the employees want to be remote. So, oh, we're all going to be in an office. Oh, but I've been searching for this marketing role for the last nine months and everybody I talk to wants to work remote. So you know what? That person can be remote. And then all of a sudden it happens again on another team. And it's like some people are remote. Some people are in an office and it just doesn't work because you haven't set up a way that everybody works together. And then there's just so much stuff that goes on. Do you talk to other founders that are in that boat at all? Do you see that happening?
0: I've definitely talked to a lot that have done that. Every chance I get, I advocate against it. We've talked a lot about this. Going remote, going coast to coast in Canada for where our employees are has literally changed our business. It has fundamentally remapped the type and caliber of talent we have access to when we're not trying to recruit people that can commute to an office within a, what, one hour range of Ottawa. It's been world changing for a services business where our value prop is finding you the best possible talent to work on projects. And I think if you are inherently creating a divided culture where you have two tiers of employee, I don't know, ranking in the company and some have remote privileges and some don't, you're inherently not creating the right environment. So any any company Mm -hmm. that is not at, the prestige and caliber where you can pick anyone in the country and move them to you and their family, remote's going to give you more access to better talent in the knowledge-based space. If you're doing physical delivery of stuff in a city, it's a different world, but of course, yeah, it's a game changer.
1: And there's different versions of remote too. This is also a hot topic online on LinkedIn. I'm sure you've seen it, but People calling a job remote, even though they have to be in a local area, which I have a lot of clients who do that. I understand some of the benefits to that. If you have a lot of events and things that are going on, it makes sense. So you can either have people working from home in a certain geographical location. People still really like that. Like there's plenty of employees who just want that. Then there's this world of like fully remote work where you can work anywhere But there are implications to that here in the U.S. And I guess I'm not sure in Canada, but here in the U.S., it impacts to your business to hire somebody in states and different locations. And so I can see as a business owner, you making the decision not to hire somebody in a certain state because of the tax costs or something like that. You just have to do it intentionally. But I'm curious if, if you've run into that situation at all in Canada.
0: Yeah, it's why we've, for better or worse, made the distinction so far that we only hire those that are legally eligible to work in Canada, because that requires a whole bunch of other things to have already been checked off. And we don't have restrictions on where you are physically working from, so long as you maintain that legally able to work in Canada status. So we have lots of people that have taken advantage of being able to travel for a month or two and work from wherever in the world. That's fine. We haven't Cross the bridge yet of hiring people outside of the country because it does come with a myriad of legal and financial implications to make it happen. What we are seeing though, and I want to touch on a little bit, is that hub and spoke approach to concentrations of staff. As things have opened up more. We have not seen a desire for people asking us to get an office and have somewhere they can go all the time. What we've absolutely seen and benefited from is people really loving opportunities to do meetups with smaller groups so we've picked a couple of key cities in canada where we're trying to get better at hosting whether it's monthly or quarterly one day or two day sessions where we can rent out a space let people get together collaborate work together for those times and that becomes a bit of the proxy for there isn't an office you have to go to there isn't even an event you have to be at but if you're within this region we're gonna have a bunch of people in town for this two-day window feel free to get together and do that and we're also encouraging smaller teams to get together, recovering some travel costs for people within a reasonable distance to travel in to meet up with a team for a day a month or something like that.
1: That's got to be less expensive than that full office you had.
0: Yeah, so much less. We've taken a lot of the overhead that was rent for the office and reinvested it back into everyone gets cash every year to upgrade their home office in whatever way they want. They can buy more equipment or fancier things or put it towards really high-end chair or Honestly, whatever, we've been pretty open with that and we're looking at ways to reinvest more of that cost back into remote culture. We have so many tools for online collaboration. We've hosted all kinds of really cool online events. One of the things that we're still trying to figure out the logistics of, and I think it is potentially a question of scale and size for us right now, but we had initially wanted to do an annual meetup. We'll fly everyone from the company in for a two, three day event or the weekend. When we started looking at the overall cost for what that would be and trying to host that in Canada, it's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So what we ended up doing is we took the cost breakdown back to the staff and said, here's what that cost looks like. Do people truly want us to invest that there? Or would there be preference that we invest it in more frequent regional meetups and events like that? Overwhelming majority is if an event like that is going to be two to $300,000 to make it happen, And we could take that and spread it over 12 months in half a dozen cities and do more small meetups. That was the overwhelming majority. That makes more sense for the size of company we're at right now.
1: Okay. Does it come naturally to you to just ask the team? So many leaders I work with would never have thought, not that they'd care and not that they wouldn't want to share that information, but they never would have been like, hey, let's see what the team would rather do with this.
0: Yeah. I love that question. That is culture in my opinion. I think a lot of people get very confused or misled on what they think culture is. And I think it's very easy to get wrapped up that company culture is shiny events, it's your swag, it's whatever. Ultimately, and especially in a virtual world, culture is the tone and communication that leadership sets and the standards you hold yourselves to, regardless of what your values say or your mission says or whatever. It's the day-to-day stuff. And what Iversoft has always prided ourselves on has been a culture of transparency so we host a quarterly all hands where we go through the full financial breakdown for the company expenses profitability if we're not profitable what revenues were what the goals are and part of that is including everyone in an opportunity to give feedback on where we're investing what we're investing in what the risks are And we've been very committed to doing that through good and bad. And it's always fun when you get to celebrate wins and there's bonuses. It's really scary to do it when things aren't going well. Here's what's stressing us out. But consistent delivery of that kind of transparency gets people truly bought in and caring about contributing to the direction of the company. Because they see you taking feedback. They see you listening. And they see an opportunity to let their voices be heard. Sometimes it sucks when you have to make hard decisions, but at least nobody as much as possible is ever feeling caught off guard or uncertain about it. And so a lot of the times when we're trying to make decisions about culture or investment in different parts of the company, even how we change benefits, we default to a lot of ask the staff rather than us sitting around trying to pick what we think they're going to appreciate the most. Let's have a conversation. It's not to say majority rules, like there's sometimes we've made different decisions, but at least open that narrative and have that conversation.
1: Okay, this is a great topic. I'm so glad we went here. I see this happen often where a value is transparency and CEOs think they're being transparent and the team does not doesn't. It's like lip service. So I'm curious with that being a value of yours, has there been times in running the organization where you've been slapped in the face of, ooh, I'm not doing this. I said we were going to do this and the team is not experiencing it this way. And if the answer is no, why do you think that is and what do you have in place to make sure that it's not, that people are feeling that way?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to say the answer is no. However, the reason for that is not necessarily any great achievement of mine. We have an incredible leadership team an incredible partnership group that oversees Iversoft and a lot of very strong voices at the table that help hold each of us accountable. I can say anytime one of us has been proposing or shying away from transparency, there are four or five other voices at the table that will step up and say, that's not how we do this. We need to do better, and we need to communicate that differently. I would say anytime one of us is like, I don't know, we need to find a different approach, or I don't want to share that, or I'm not comfortable with that. There's a lot of kind of leadership accountability amongst our C-level and our directors to speak up and say, no, I think we need to do more of that. I would say a lot of that comes from having a leadership team that's willing to hold each other accountable. And there is no one on our leadership team that is above reproach or feedback or any of that. It's living one of our other core values, which is meant to be a good idea. can come from anywhere. There isn't a philosophy of my opinion or our CTO's opinion or CEO's opinion are in any way unquestionable or you can't push back and people do. And I think what's nice is our teams often get exposure to that conversation, to some of that pushback, even when we're dealing with client escalations or we're solving different problems. There's a very open air of communication. So we try and get that feedback quickly, act on it and hold each other accountable when necessary.
1: When you joined the company, did you sit down and create your culture, a uh- this is how we operate manual. Did you come together as a leadership team and be like, this is how we're going to do it? How was that even created in the first place? Because it sounds like a dream, but how did you get there?
0: Blood, sweat, tears, and a lot of experimentation, I think is the answer. When I joined, there was really not a concept of culture. There was obviously culture, but there was nobody intentionally owning it. It was also not an idea that I brought in shortly after i joined we were put in a situation where we had to replace a key role in the company very quickly and we actually ended up bringing in, who's now our director of people culture brought her in on a contract for one day a week to help us fill that role and figure out some growth planning because we were nine people i think but we saw contracts coming in that was probably going to take us to 15 and it was like okay we should probably figure out this hr thing And I think she worked.
1: Thank you for doing it that
0: early. I think she worked two weeks straight instead of a day a week with us. And at the end of the two weeks, went to Matt and Vicky, the other founder, the co-founders, and said, if you're serious about growing this, you need me here full time, not a day a week. And huge credit to them. They said yes. And so she's been with us since we were 10 employees and has grown with us from 10 to Thirty back down to twenty-two, then up to fifty, where we are now, and has been a ever-present voice at the table for making sure we're being conscious of culture and the people-first side of things. I think it's also been something that Matt, Vicki and I have always talked about a lot. And Laura, when she joined our team, she's our COO, recognizing that because we're in the services world, like the people are our product and that is our offering and therefore tech is a hyper competitive space and if you're not paying what amazon's paying then you need to have something better to offer people that goes beyond just dollars and so it's always been part of the narrative one exercise that steph led us through that i loved but was also humbling When we formalized our values, which I think was when we were 20, 25 people, we went through this exercise in our nice, shiny office where we put all of the values that the leadership team felt was Iversoft on a whiteboard. And then we left for the rest of the day and we left it with all of the staff to add stickies to each value of whether or not they thought it was real. Call us out if there were values there that were bullshit, if there were things that they felt should be changed. And... We ended up eliminating two values. I don't remember which they were at the time. We ended up eliminating two of our values that had been corporate values because the overwhelming staff majority was like, this is great. We don't do this and we don't live this and we're not going to so stop pretending. But we also modified a number of others to better reflect the reality and also got some good alignment. We like this. We don't think we're doing this. But here's how we could be. And here's how we can be more accountable to it. That's an exercise we've tried to take to heart as we continue to grow. You can say all you want on your marketing site and in the media, talk to your team, get genuine feedback of do you feel like we're being transparent? If yes, awesome. If not, why? And where can we improve that?
1: Or What does transparency mean to you? I think there's also getting clarity on what something means across the board, because one person can think one definition and another another. That's a great exercise. Some of these things, I think we overcomplicate how to do stuff. And it can be so simple, a conversation of some sort.
0: Oh, and it's one of those silly little things. Like some of the tools we've taken on, two that I love that we've adapted that are so mundane, but also so awesome in the way they get leveraged. One is an add-on for Slack called Donut. And it just pairs random people in the company for a 15 or 30 minute coffee. The amount of positive feedback we get from people that just get to meet other people on different teams without the social pressure of they have to try and reach out to somebody or do that's awesome. We also have a part of the team specifically heavy on the development side that leverages discord a lot for essentially creating virtual desks where they'll just hang out in a discord channel. And if somebody wants to drop by and ask a couple questions or live work through something, they just drop in the channel and do it. And things like that, where you can look to other industries like online gaming, where people have figured out the tools to overcome phenomenally complex situations in real time, lean into them. It's not like your corporate environment is reinventing the world. The online community has figured out online internet collaboration for decades at this point. You just have to pay attention to it and try stuff.
1: Awesome. Totally. Which leads me to another topic I want to talk to you about is a four-day work week. And I have been trying to implement that in my own work life. How's it going? I'm a C minus. Not bad. I'm not failing. That's not bad. You're passing. Okay. I probably am getting a D to be honest.
0: Still passing. My academic philosophy. That's still passing. You don't have to come back.
1: That's true. I appreciate that. That's something that I really find fascinating. And I'm so loving learning more about it. I just find it to be a topic that's going to continue to be on my mind and on so many leaders' minds. And at some point, it may not be a choice. It might be something you have to do as well. Would love to know, is your company fully... A four day work week now?
0: Yeah. So we are a compressed four day work week and have been for a couple of years now. So, what that means for us is the hours are still the same as a traditional five day work week. However, the corporate hours that we require people to be available for are between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday to Thursday. Outside of that, we do not book company events, client events, meetings, whatever that require you. You have the flexibility outside of those core hours to determine how and when you hit your 37 and a half hours for the week. And because Friday is not one of those days, we have a lot of people that will do four 10 hour days Monday to Thursday and are off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because in a lot of cases in the development world, that's just the way you get into workflow and is better for you anyway. We are seeing that trend when we went remote to begin with that a lot of people were working longer hours. And I think on one side of it is great. Now we're getting 55 hours out of people instead of 37. We looked at it more of like our whole business model is built around delivering a 40 hour work week. If we can do that in four days instead of five, clients are happy. Staff are more rested are a lot more happy and fulfilled. And especially in a remote world, we know so many of our staff have kids, they've got crazy family schedules, they've got all kinds of other things going on. And so being able to give that kind of flexibility has been massive in how we can attract and retain people. We have talked about the kind of reduced hours, four day work week, we have not piloted yet, it continues to be on our radar, but our current business model doesn't support it very well because we're very time materials billing based. And so we haven't figured that out. But the four day compressed flex week, we had insane reactions from people when we first announced it. They're like, you're gonna lose all your clients because you won't take meetings on Friday. I think there was like one or two slightly weird conversations where like, that's a problem. But what if I have to call you on a Friday? A, your account person will probably still take the call on the Friday. So that's okay. B, I'm telling you, we're gonna give you better developers, better talent, and they're gonna move faster. Because of this flexibility and the compromises we're going to meet on Thursday instead. And pretty much since that initial conversation, we haven't had a single major element of pushback, which that's great has been phenomenal.
1: That's such a testament to just try things. And I imagine you told the team, we're going to test this and see how it goes. And you're being transparent with them so that if you have to dial back and no longer offer it, you have the reasons behind it and you can have a conversation around it. I'm assuming is what you did.
0: Our entire HR people ops team love to run experiments. They actively talk about it all the time. And so I think at this point, our broader team is very accustomed to the pitch from them of, Hey, here's an idea. We're going to pilot it for 30, 60, 90 days. We're going to tell you the results. And if it goes well, we'll extend it. If it doesn't, we're going to roll it back. And I think we initially did a 60 day pilot of compressed work week to see how things went and Then ended up extending it indefinitely because, again, metrics were higher, people were happier, overwhelming feedback from any staff with young families were just like, this has changed my life. Fundamentally, this has changed my life and I'm never going anywhere.
1: I love the concept of giving listeners, if you're listening to the show, you have permission to test things.
0: Yeah. Please.
1: And not go all in. Just test it. And if it doesn't work, dial it back. Don't be so afraid. Test in increments. If you guys would have just went to 32 hour work week, four days a week, that might not have worked and you might have had to dial it back. Be conscious of what you're testing because dialing back is challenging. However, it's how you communicate it and all of that stuff. If you know that your path eventually would be to have a compressed four day work week, this is a good step towards getting there and setting up the processes and the workflows and All the stuff that needs to happen to then take it a step further. Yeah. And I think people just get so scared to even try it because they're like, what if it doesn't work?
0: People overthink it. They get caught up in their own narrative of all the things that could go wrong with it. And I think there's such a lack of willingness to try things. But a lot of that comes back to the transparency thing, too. Be open with your team. Here's what we're going to try, here's the metrics we're looking for, here's how long we're going to do it for assume it ends at the end of it if we see things we're really happy with we'll let you know if we're going to extend it if we don't extend it we'll let you know why where i think some people get frustrated is when you don't have that transparency and it's like surprise we're piloting something and then surprise it went away and they're like we don't know why it happened we don't know where it went we don't know what changed And it just feels like whiplash on your team.
1: Totally. What advice would you have to Zoom CEO? Remember, they just posted that they were going, is it a full hybrid or fully back into the office? I don't remember, but what are your thoughts on that?
0: I'd say outside of the memes, I haven't followed it too closely, but I think ultimately you got to do a better job with your messaging. If you are the remote tools of the future, don't ever show up in a press release that says you're bringing everyone back to the office because you need to. The level of disconnect between your clients and your pitch and what you're doing day to day is so misaligned. I don't get it. I almost think it's a scenario where you have to look at who else is on the team that can speak up when a decision like that is being made. And if there isn't anyone, there probably should be. Because I think that's one of those things where you get one person or two people that are like, this has to happen. It's a knee jerk fix to a perceived problem and nobody in the room is willing to say that's gonna be a huge issue and it undermines everything we're trying to sell. It's clearer now to me than it was pre-pandemic, but the entire pitch of Iversoft of hire an outside external development team to support you. If we can't also run our organization external and remote, it's not a great pitch to our clients. So there's a layer like if we're selling clients that we can provide really good augmented services remotely, we had better be a thought leader in that space to show we know how to do this better than anyone else and are leading the charge on that. So I'd say the same for Zoom. If you're going to be the global leader on remote tools, be the global leader on remote tools, invest in figuring out how to make remote culture phenomenal.
1: Yeah, totally. So many things there. Well, Graham, you seem like an amazing CEO to work for. I think that anyone listening, I guess if there's Canadian listeners and folks in the tech world looking for a job, send them their way. I'm so grateful that you came on the show and shared some of your wisdom. we will drop things in the show notes, but are you on social medias giving leadership advice? Where can people find you?
0: I am on all the social medias at Graham Barlow on all the platforms. I- also have a site at grahambarlow.com. You can also find me at iversoft.ca. Um happy to connect with anyone, happy to chat through any of this. And if you're looking for a technology partner to help build stuff, would love to have a conversation.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.
1: If you're not driving, stop and take a moment to share this episode with someone who you thought about while listening. Share it with your team to show them you're committed to their growth. Share it with a fellow business owner in your network who you know will be moved by the message. Heck, share it with your mother, your brother, your sister, or your cousin. Your support in growing the show means the world to me.